Thick descriptions disrupts traditional educational methods. And why do we do that? Because we want to help humans thrive where they are, building better communities. One way that we do that is the Elephant in the Room Unboxed, where we give our audience members the tools and the resources to have those uncomfortable conversations and do it in a humane and anthropological way. We're doing this in partnership with Respect Diversity, another organization that is committed to doing the work with us. Each episode will have a different host and a different guest talking about uncomfortable conversations or uncomfortable topics and giving you the resources of how to navigate them. Let's get uncomfortable. Well, hello, this is Suzette Chang. I am the founder and CEO of Thick Descriptions, and I get the cool opportunity to interview a wonderful human being. I will allow her to introduce herself. So Gulnas, tell us your name and a little bit about you. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Gulnas Tabumbaeva, and I'm from Kazakhstan, and I'm so happy to be here in today's episode. Uh, so currently, uh, as of recording this episode, I'm a community engagement exchange fellow working w- with Thick Descriptions. So it's a pro- uh, it's a program where civil society leaders from all over the uh, world uh, can get experience to work at a nonprofit. So I was uh, lucky, one of the lucky ones, to get to work with Suzette and other all cool human beings here. Oh, thank you. Very cool. Okay. And so you have been with Thick Descriptions now for about three months, correct? Uh-huh. Yes, that's correct. And uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it, your uh, your fellowship is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, okay. so sad about that. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, have you ever participated in a fellowship before? Uh, so during high school, I was on a similar program mm-hmm. uh, called Future Leaders Exchange Program, sponsored okay. by U.S. Department of State. Okay. So I was an exchange student at high school. Now this is a similar opportunity, but more on a professional level. Right. So right. So I'm very glad to be back to the United States and have this opportunity to work here, to have more like professional environment, professional experience here now. Wonderful. And so when you say professional experiences, can you unpack that? What does that mean for you? Uh, so uh, the Committee Engagement Exchange Program is, itself is a global network of civil society leaders from all over the world. Right. So we were selected among uh, 4,400 people. Wow. So there are more uh, like around 110 fellows from more than 80 countries from all nice. over the world. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like seeing all other people who come from different backgrounds and yes. seeing what they're doing in their communities, like yes. they're tackling a very um, 21st century issues right. uh, that are prominent and very important in their communities. Right. And we have this opportunity to work at nonprofit in the United States. Yes. So we can uh, have like on firsthand experience right. how it um, all uh, functions from the inside right. so we can have the experience and skill in order to implement our own project back in our countries. Okay. You said that uh, many different issues. What are some of those issues that uh, you're aware of, you, you and your fellow, um, is it fellow fellows? Fellows, yeah. <laughs> fellow fellows um, are dealing with as it relates to 21st century issues. Uh, so uh, uh, 
at the fellowship there are four um five main themes mm-hmm. so uh it's a uh, women rights and gender issues okay. uh second one open and participatory government okay uh third one is uh youth engagement mm-hmm. uh fourth one um uh civic engagement okay and fifth one is um, uh, like sustainable ecological uh issues got uh, it uh-huh. got it. so before we go a little bit deeper into that tell me and our listeners a little bit about Kazakhstan. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm from Kazakhstan myself. So I uh, originally, uh, my hometown is uh, in the west, southwest of Kazakhstan. Okay. But uh, for the past few years, I've been living in the capital of Kazakhstan, Astana. Okay. Uh, so um, introducing Kazakhstan, it's uh, ninth biggest country in the world, and, uh, like geographically uh-huh. and uh we are situated in central asia and in the heart of eurasia wow. <laughs> so yeah so i'm very proud and happy to be uh, born in kazakhstan because mm-hmm. people there are very nice and very uh, hos- uh, like hospitality is the mm-hmm. main thing i would say mm-hmm. uh so and the nature is very beautiful and we have a like a very rich cultural background because mm-hmm. of nomadic history mm-hmm. and also many uh, since we're located in uh, in the heart of Eurasia mm-hmm. many uh, different cultures and ethnicities live in Kazakhstan okay. and we're very uh, I would say like very open to other cultures and other ethnicities so um yeah, that's one of the things. And okay. uh, since I've been here in Oklahoma, when I introduced Kazakhstan to other people, some of the people actually know uh, Dimash, who is one of the famous singers from Kazakhstan. Oh, wow. Uh, and I was so happy to hear that <laughs> because, uh, yeah, like he's also, uh, we are very proud of him. Okay. Uh, and another one of the prominent figures, I would say, is Gennady Golovkin, known as Triple G. He's a very okay. uh, famous boxer. Oh, wow. uh, and yeah, he won many championships. And uh, yeah, so I also found that many people here actually know him. So I'm very nice. happy to hear that. Nice, nice. And so you said that Kazakhstan is a nomadic culture? Uh, yeah, it used to be. It like Historically, be. we okay. used to be nomadic culture. But since, yeah, we're uh, like not anymore but okay. we still have like nomadic background uh-huh. and many nomadic uh, like uh, traditions are uh, integrated into modern culture okay okay i know we've had this conversation and i would love to have it again tell me about the food in kazakhstan oh food i would say is <laughs> yeah it's a <laughs> most important part probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah so food is great because we uh yeah we it mainly like meat is a main mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> food and one of the uh interesting facts is our, uh, we have a main traditional food which is called bishparmak okay. and, and bishparmak and it's a literal translation is five fingers and you eat mm. with with your fingers okay. to have a like full uh, taste of the fu- okay. food so okay. it's made of out of like meat and like nood- uh, noodles and you eat it with your fingers yeah wow Mm-hmm. And I can relate to that uh, growing up uh, more of my ancestors that are no longer with us, like grandparents and great grandparents, watching them eat with their fingers, too. Mm. It was very interesting. So to hear you say that, it's like, OK, there's there's yet something else that we can connect, even though mm-hmm. we are from completely different geographic spaces. 
Yeah, it's so interesting to hear that uh, even if uh, all countries are located in different places mm-hmm. and people have different backgrounds, there are still so many similarities mm-hmm. when you meet other people. And so it's that's, that's so fascinating. Agreed. Agreed. So you have started a nonprofit, correct? Uh, so uh, during my stu- uh, student... Uh, uh, during my university years, I have actually uh, co-founded and I was the first president of student organization called Equality, okay. which addresses uh, gender issues okay. and empowers women in Kazakhstan. Okay. So we had many uh, projects. Uh, like uh, first, we um, had big gender forums mm-hmm. to, in order to raise awareness about gender issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also organized many trainings as self-defense, Sex education, mm. women in STEM, etc. Wow. To have uh, to g- give certain tools and okay. knowledge to women and girls in Kazakhstan. Okay. So, uh, so I uh, after graduating from university, I have been also involved in women's sphere. Mm-hmm. So I worked uh, as a um, uh, coordinator of social projects at Association of Businesswomen of Kazakhstan. Okay. I also have um, experience of working at the UN Women. Okay. and international organization for migration uh, related to gender mainstreaming okay. so i've been involved in this sphere and now i want to establish my own nonprofit okay. and to expand the uh, organization equalities um work throughout okay. kazakhstan and central asia okay and so you said that there's already work going on can you talk a little bit more about what that work looks like like existing organizations or existing um missions visions that are committed to uh, women empowerment mm-hmm. so yeah as i have mentioned we organized many uh so one of our big events is uh, equality talks mm-hmm. uh, so we mainly um invite gender experts prominent figures in the sphere mm-hmm. uh, to talk about uh ongoing gender issues in kazakhstan mm-hmm. so it's it's more like a like ted talk but okay uh, focused on gender issues okay. and people is main uh, uh, aim is to have this platform where people can discuss gender issues mm-hmm. and spread awareness about that shed a light on ongoing issues so okay. people will be more informed uh, so uh, we uh, uh, until now uh, we were established in 2019 okay. so throughout these years we have organized four main uh, equality talks, as mm. I remember correctly, and we were able to gather more than two thousand people. Nice. Yeah. So uh, as a continuation, so we organized the small projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the work that has been done till now. Mm-hmm. But uh, since COVID hit, we were yeah. not. Uh, we uh, yeah. The uh, team that uh, continued working on that mm-hmm. they were mainly doing it online, mm-hmm. and now we want to continue it and expand it more. Okay. So elaborate, if you will, on what are some, like, what are the top five uh, gender issues in Kazakhstan for women? My willingness to promote gender equality in my community came from the realities that I was living mm-hmm. in. So I grew up in a uh, post-Soviet uh, um, c- country. Okay. So uh, Kazakhstan got its independence in 1991. Okay. And there were still many inherited, like, patriarchal traditions from mm-hmm. that time. And also, um, still there were like many areas, uh, rural areas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the areas that I grew up was mostly conservative. Okay. So uh, and from an early age, since I was a kid, I saw many discriminatory practices as uh, arranged marriages, 
Oh. And um, bride kidnapping. Oh, wow. Yeah, where young girls were um, being kidnapped to get married. Yes. And they were not even asked for their consent. Right. So uh, seeing that, I was very uh, angered. Yes. And, uh, and I was like a kid. And yes. I didn't understand, like, I understood that it was wrong, but didn't understand what was the root of that. Got it. Uh, nowadays, bride kidnapping is not such a widespread practice okay. as it, as it was. Hear. Yeah, so as it was used to be. Uh, however, there are still many practices, and there is not enough like gender representation in the mm. office. And mm. women uh, still like one of the main issues is is that domestic violence is not criminalized. And uh, yeah, many survivors of domestic violence cannot get like f- legal help mm-hmm. and not fully supported. Mm-hmm. And so that's of the, one of the issues that I want to tackle. So during my time, as I was working, I have been also involved in the uh, uh, in this area, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I want to contribute to in order to advocate for. Okay. Okay. So what? does that look like for you as it relates to more equitable opportunities for women in in Kazakhstan within the workplace what is what are the programs that you would like to uh, develop if not execute to make that happen so I would say uh, that um, more or less uh, nowadays women still can pursue any career that they want Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, the most important thing is that they would feel safe in their workplace or even outside of the workplace even uh, uh, being equitable in the workplace starts mm-hmm. from the household so many uh, women still like they might get married after graduating from high school mm-hmm. and not even pursue uh, higher education or career okay. so i would say even if women have these tools and platforms to pursue a career mm-hmm. many women and girls cannot do that okay. because of the societal pressure or family pressures that yes. they might have. Yes. So I would say uh, one of the ways to tackle that is to provide information okay. uh, to those women that they have uh, many options, mm-hmm. that they can pursue knowledge, they can pursue their careers, okay. and it does not go against their traditions, okay. that it's okay to have both family okay. and a career. Okay. So I would say like reaching out to those girls uh, and a young woman and having and giving them tools and knowledge would mm-hmm. be one of the first steps to have this more equitable workplaces. Okay. Are there existing organizations that you your organization, once you make it happen, could partner with? Yeah, I would say uh, there are actually many um, uh, amazing um, uh, nonprofit organizations mm-hmm. uh, tackling these issues. Um, so yeah, in uh, in Kazakhstan, is there are, like mostly now emerging civil mm-hmm. society organizations are emerging now. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, like it is very important to cooperate and partner with other organizations mm-hmm. to have more um, mm-hmm. power, I would say, and mm-hmm. to have more reach in society. Mm-hmm. So and another important aspect is to like those organizations are mainly focused in big cities okay. like capital Astana or okay. Almaty, which is the biggest city. Okay. So I would say it is very important for us to partner and to reach out to other regions, mm-hmm. especially Kazakh-speaking communities who might have uh, might not have enough content or knowledge or access to those information and knowledge. And so once, and so I'm speaking this as if it has already happened, will happen, once you have the organization set up and you are moving forward, and I understand 
the, the initial commitment is to provide access, provide information. Have you thought of other ways to transition it from access to execution? For example, providing information such as uh, encouraging and uh, informing young women that you do have choices. Um, would your organization be interested in creating programs of where they could exercise those choices? And if yes, what does that look like? So yeah, uh, I would say uh, regarding the execution, um, we in the long term, we want to actually establish uh, these um, training centers mm -hmm. where people, uh, women who come from so socially vulnerable backgrounds mm -hmm. probably might have, uh, could have those uh, trainings mm -hmm. uh, to execute like to, uh, like a working trainings mm -hmm. as sewing, cooking, mm -hmm. or like uh, small trainings that doesn't take lots of time. Mm -hmm. So women actually can also um, have their small businesses start mm -hmm. working from home, even mm -hmm. working online. So as it's mm -hmm. m like widespread now, mm -hmm. so they don't don't always have to have like a diploma to do so, right. but having some vocational skills or just right. knowledge right. of working online they can also do that so yeah i want to in the long run to establish such training centers where mm -hmm. we will have experts mm -hmm. trainers who will teach us to those women and they can have certificates okay. into and do or it's their own job even if they're home even they're just housewives mm -hmm. they can just combine it okay all right so, and, uh, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, another aspect I would say uh, one of the uh, issues is like as I mentioned, lack of contact in, in rural areas, mm -hmm. and it relates to the uh, lack of content in Catholic language. Mm -hmm. So, um, when we establish and uh, start working as a nonprofit, I want to focus more on Catholic speaking community and community. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this, uh, like having this information and trainings, all the project in Catholic language would have more expansion in the in our uh like auditorium and okay. reach out those peop people and mm -hmm. women who did not have those information for a long time. Got it. Got it. Sounds like a wonderful plan. Mm, Sounds like you. a very wonderful plan. Um so I'm gonna shift uh, just a little bit and uh unpack if we can a little bit about you as a human being, meaning Golna. Um, so tell us a little bit more about you. So we understand that you're from Kazakhstan. Uh, you speak multiple languages. Mm -hmm. yeah. What languages do you speak? So yeah, my uh, native language, um, mother uh, language is Kazakh language. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm fluent in Russian um, and English. Mm -hmm. And I've been also learning Chinese, so a little bit of Chinese. Okay. But yeah, I'm fluent in three in a language. few languages. Okay. And so now I'm going to shift this. So I'm going to do some shifting because to me, the personal and professional are very much connected historically. And, and, and I say that because historically in the United States, there's been this belief that the two are separate as if when you come to work at eight o'clock in the morning, everything that you have addressed or dealt with in your personal life is supposed to just sit at the door and then you take on this whole new identity and then you go into work mm -hmm. and you do what you do and you smile and, and whatever. And then at five o'clock when you're off, that's when the work. And I think I know more so since the pandemic hit, it helped all of us understand more than ever that a personal and professional are very much blended, very much interconnected. Mm -hmm. So um, providing that segue of we we talked about the different languages and you have fur babies 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about your fur babies. Uh, so yeah, I have three cats. They're mm-hmm. all rescued, mm-hmm. and they're currently living with my parents. Mm-hmm. And I really love animals, especially mm-hmm. cats. And a thing like in Kazakhstan, especially like there is lack of like support for animal shelters, and really? it's one of the like pressing issue also. Mm-hmm. Then I always try to help animal shelters or to rescue cats and be mm-hmm. a foster mm-hmm. so yeah but mm-hmm. i really love my mm-hmm. <laughs> cats and i really miss mm-hmm. them right now <laughs> and I, I know in a previous conversation you and i had and this was my limited information and maybe even a bias my assumption was that fostering a four-legged uh loved one was an american thing and having that conversation with you helped me to broaden my understanding that it was far more than an American thing is it's a, um, a Kazakhstan thing and it's probably a global issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you are a foster mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now how long have you been fostering four legged uh, family members? Uh, not that long. I fostered only two cats and okay. we were able to find them homes. Okay. So I was very happy to know that they now have loving families. Okay. Okay. And so what does fostering an animal look like for you? Uh, so fostering, uh, so two of them, we actually found them outside mm-hmm. uh, in the streets. And especially in Astana, it's very cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and winter lasts from October till April. Mm-hmm. Probably we have lots of snow. And we f- first, we found one of the cats in uh, March where it was there was lots of snow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took uh, him home. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we started looking for other families mm-hmm. um, through social media and other ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, uh, I would say uh, even uh, like it feels great to have like to give this help to those mm-hmm. uh, little uh, fur babies. <laughs> yeah, fur babies <laughs> and uh, seeing the happiness when. Uh, of the family mm-hmm. who will take them later but it's so sad because you get attached, attached to, them to them during the right? time and afterwards it's so hard mm-hmm. to give them away mm-hmm. but anyway you will know that they'll have a loving family and you mm-hmm. have this like um, satisfaction that you did something mm-hmm. good for that mm-hmm. uh, for a baby yeah do you think so now i'm going to shift that into the professional do you think that'll ever be a component of your nonprofit, of having fur babies there as like maybe therapy for um the women that are maybe going through some challenges? Oh, actually, I've never thought about that okay. because I kind of keep them separate. So, okay. yeah, because uh, I still do help out animals, mm-hmm. uh, pets. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's a great idea. And we might actually think about that in okay. the future. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I, I know uh, you and I, when we both have a love for fur babies, be it dogs, cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably even more, but we never, I don't, have we ever talked more than about cats and dogs? Mainly cats yeah, and dogs. cats yeah. and dogs. Um, and I bring that out again because it's personal and it can be professional and it's something else that connects you and I is uh, when you and I are together and we see, and, and like on our way here, there was a dog in the car <laughs> sitting in the passenger seat and I rolled down my window and we're at the stoplight and I'm talking to the dog, um, <laughs> the dog. And I know the dog's name and the owner. Yeah. Don't even, the owner is almost like non-existent. But, and for me, because uh, today was a full day for me having that conversation with the dog. The dog's name is Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very therapeutic for me. And so thinking that might be something very helpful for your organization as well. Yeah, that would be amazing, especially since many animal shelters, they struggle. Yeah. And having like 
the helping resources. them and like maybe yes. partnering with them. Yeah. So that would be also amazing idea yes. to implement in the future. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we talked about your business. We talked about uh, your fellowship. Uh, we talked about where you're from um, and a little bit of the history about where you are from. Um, outside, and it sounds like, so delving back into the uh, business component of it, it sounds as though that uh, human trafficking is not an issue like it was. Because when you, you were speaking earlier of women um, basically being told who to marry and when to marry, um, that is a component, at least here in the United States, we identify it as human trafficking or a component of it. Are there other issues that are, women are facing that you want your organization to address? Uh, so outside of, so the word empowerment is a big word. And obviously it is, uh, your goal is to focus towards women. Um, how else would you like to empower them outside of knowing that they can have a career and a family? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any other areas that you would like to empower them? So throughout my time working at Thick Descriptions, mm-hmm. I've been, uh, it was my first experience working with the kids. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that feeling how mm-hmm. kids would be excited mm-hmm. about STEAM journey mm-hmm. in camps and mm-hmm. doing all the experiments. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, uh, also one of the aspects that I want to do working with little kids. Right. And especially, uh, like, um, it's very important to nurture from an early age that right. girls can do anything and they can right. be a- a- anyone uh, they want. They can right. pursue any job, any career. Right. So that might be another aspect to uh, work with schools mm-hmm. uh, to empower little young girls mm-hmm. and to show them, like, um, role models, mm-hmm. not only in, like, a typically considered woman job but all other aspects mm-hmm. and show them that they ha- can be anyone mm-hmm. they want so i would say in the future we would also want to work in the education sphere okay. and show empower women to work in stem okay. in, in other uh, career aspects that's pretty cool that's pretty cool and i know you and i've talked about the ywca uh, and I bring that up personally and professionally, and so focus on the professional side. I know here in Oklahoma, and and I would assume in other spaces, there is the YWCA, and they offer uh, resources for women, and that includes uh, housing for the the women and their and their kids. And so this might also be another opportunity for your organization uh, down the road of when you are working with women especially those that have children of identifying ways to keep uh, the the woman empowered and their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that housing might ever be something that your organization would offer? Currently in Kazakhstan, uh, in, currently in Kazakhstan, we have similar organizations mm-hmm. uh, that uh, they're mainly called like crisis centers. Yes. And they help women uh, who come from you know, vulnerable backgrounds, mm-hmm. survivors of domestic violence, mm-hmm. to get a housing so they can maybe work there for some time, mm-hmm. live there with their kids and mm-hmm. get mental support, financial mm-hmm. support, and mm-hmm. etc. And um, but ho- however, they still struggle because they don't have enough financial support. Right. So uh, I would love to also in, in any abilities to partner with them mm-hmm. and to fundraise, uh, have fundraising okay. projects for them. Okay. And uh, yeah, cooperate with them in in any other projects that would be possible. Got it. Got it. So, what do you like to do in your spare time? 
<laughs> so I have many uh, like um, uh, interests. So uh -huh. one of them, favorite one, would be probably traveling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, even okay. coming here during fellowship, uh, I was privileged and um, fortunate to be able to travel. Mm -hmm. I visited uh, New York, Chicago. Mm -hmm in uh, Michigan State, mm -hmm. so I was very happy to explore, see other mm -hmm. areas, and I've been uh, to many European countries, okay. uh, like Netherlands, uh, mm -hmm. Austria, mm, Czech Republic, etc., wow. and I really love diving into other cultures, mm -hmm. learning about, say, history, and especially, like, mm, uh, exploring and talking to local people, mm -hmm. uh, exploring like non-touristy places right. gives much right. more like understanding Agreed. and background, Agreed. and you feel as if you're part of that. Agreed. Feel a little bit of the history, Agreed. and yeah, and uh, always when I travel, it gives me, uh, it always inspires me because it shows how the world is so big, mm -hmm. and there are so many opportunities to mm -hmm. do, and yeah, that's uh, the things that I love the most. And nice. yeah, other than that, I also love um, reading books, yes. knitting for yes. therapeutic, yes. as a therapeutic yes. way. Uh, so yeah, just walking. So, but I have been struggling with that in the United States because there are no sidewalks. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, and it's in not Oklahoma. always yeah. safe to no. walk outside. This but is true. Yes, but in Kazakhstan, I always like to walk outside in mm -hmm. the parks or mm -hmm. if it's just nearby place that i need to go mm -hmm. i always instead of like having a, a taxi or riding a car right. i just try to walk because it's always so mm, relaxing got it got it got it um and so you just brought something up that uh made me think of another conversation we had so in kazakhstan especially in the community that you live public transportation is a big it's sustainable. We're here in the metropolitan area of Oklahoma City. Our our public transportation is is getting there, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the pauses of uh, being here in Oklahoma City as it relates to public transportation? So yeah, one of the difficulties were just getting to work or yeah. getting anywhere yeah. because uh, like uh as obvious, like obviously, we don't have a car here, right. and uh, like uh, taxi cabs are so expensive. Yes. and I always need to ask other people to give me a ride. So yes. that's one, uh, that's been a biggest struggle, I would yeah. say. And especially like public transportation is not well developed. Like right. uh, once I took a um, bus to go downtown, and mm -hmm. it took me almost three hours because wow. I had to first walk wow. and wait for a bus, and it takes so long. Right. So I hope it will be uh, it will be well developed in the future because right. uh, like people, not all people can afford to have a car. Right. So it's very important to have uh, to make public transportation accessible for Agreed. everyone. Agreed. And I just want to pause on that for a moment just to let that resonate of one way, three hours mm -hmm. with yeah. public transportation. And so if you had access to a car, how long do you think it would have taken you? Mm, probably just 20 minutes. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Oklahoma, <laughs> we got we got work to do. <laughs> we definitely have work to do. Okay, so... You love uh, love animals. You you talked about traveling and knitting. What else do you like to do? I also love doing 
uh, as for sport, I've been doing fly yoga, and I noticed that yeah. it's not very popular here. It's yeah. kind of like um, another type of yoga, but you do that on a like rope. Uh, so it really helped me with my back pain, neck mm-hmm. pain, and since uh, I'm like. I work in a like more in the office all the time, mm-hmm. and we have you need to be always sitting. Mm-hmm. So it really helps with get some exercise, mm-hmm. and it's also very like relaxing. Mm-hmm. I would say, and it's called fly yoga. Yeah, fly yoga or aerial yoga. And so it like you're suspended in air. Yeah, you have the support of a rope, uh-huh. and you go into that, and it helps. It gives you like base to do any kind of. Wow, I'm having these visuals of your arms being stretched and your legs almost like uh, from the Incredibles of uh, Elastigirl. And I know, and I know that's not what you're saying, but that's what's going on in my head. <laughs> yeah, it it really helps with flexibility, okay. and it's like easy. I would say it's not really easy, but it's yeah, it gives you support, and it's Got very it. great Got way it. of doing sports. Okay. So fly yoga. How long have you been doing it? Uh, so for about a year. Okay. So yeah, but uh, once I go back to Kazakhstan, I'm mm, very excited to resume my <laughs> trainings. Yeah, because yeah, you're right. I don't think it's very popular here in yeah. Oklahoma, let alone the United States. Maybe on the coastal states, I would think it would be popular, but probably not here in Oklahoma. Mm, yeah, I haven't seen it that, that much here. Okay. And we've, we've also had conversations, and I think you brought it up earlier, that you've met a few people that are from Kazakhstan that are here in Oklahoma. At least one person yeah. is from Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. And how did you two connect? Uh, so, yeah, uh, prior to that, I've actually met uh, people who worked in Kazakhstan, worked like in American Kazakhstan. people. Okay. So I was happy to hear that. And I've recently met some people from Kazakhstan who are living and working here. Mm-hmm. So it actually happened through Instagram, which yes, is glad, social a media. platform yes. to connect with other people. Agreed, yeah. agreed. And so what has that been like? Um, I know you said it's been exciting. Um, you all got to hang out. I, I mean... Did it feel like you were at home or were there cultural, still cultural differences? Yeah, it, it's to a certain degree, it feels like home to mm-hmm. meet other people because I finally get to uh, talk in Kazakh languages mm-hmm. with those people. So mm-hmm. uh, like since I've been always uh, like uh, talking in English with uh-huh. other people communicating, it can be so exhausting mm-hmm. and uh, like talking in your native language mm-hmm. uh, with those people. I was so happy to mm-hmm. do that. Yes, because I could see how the translation in any two languages could get lost. Uh, yeah. You may say the correct word, but the context is, may not be applicable in that conversation. Yeah, totally. I get that. I get that. Okay. Anything else you would like the listeners to know more about you, about you, the organization you want to start, or excuse me, expand uh, about Kazakhstan, about uh, IREX, CEE, anything else you want to share? So I just want to personally uh, thank you (laughs) for Mm. this amazing experience. I was very, like this um, opportunity to work at Thick Descriptions opened up to many opportunities for Mm. me. So especially um, I learned how like nonprofit functions um, inside and Mm. what does, uh, um, how system works. Mm. And it it has been very useful. And this has been a great networking opportunity as well. I've met so many amazing people 
uh, for instance, like the last episode talking to Bailey Perkins, mm -hmm. it was so inspiring seeing how like just one person can make a great change mm -hmm. and they choose to give back to their community mm -hmm. instead of like prioritizing their own comfort. Mm -hmm. So I've been very inspired by those people. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and one of my favorite quotes, I would say, is like, be the change you want to see in the yes. world by Gandhi. Yes. Yes. So yeah, it shows like as even one person can make a great change. Yes. So yeah, so that's been an amazing experience to meet all those people and talk to them. And I'm very motivated <laughs> to take all those m knowledge and skills and to, to give back to my own community. Good, good. And I am so glad that you brought up Bailey because she is an amazing, I mean, all the people that we are talking to on this podcast are amazing. Mm -hmm. She is her own shining star. And I think a lot of it is because she is a native Oklahoman um, has had experience outside of Oklahoma and made the decision to come back yeah. to Oklahoma and do the work. Mm -hmm. uh, the one of the the good things and pauses about Oklahoma is there's a lot of opportunity to make sustainable change. And while there are many of us that have made the decision to not be here anymore because some of that change can be overwhelming, there's mm -hmm. a lot of us that are making that decision to stay and do the work and do all that we can. So maybe in another 10, 15 years, things won't look like this anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very admirable because even if we live, there are other people who might not have the opportunity mm -hmm. to live. And especially there will be future generations that might be still struggling. Right. And I believe it, if we're contributing to, uh, con uh, contributing to solve certain issues and right. uh, like, even making a smallest change, right. it would mean a lot to the future Agreed. generation. Agreed. Agreed. As you are saying that, I am reflecting on my personal and professional experiences of knowing that I am standing on the shoulders of some amazing humans mm -hmm. who have done the work. Uh, not too long ago, Oklahoma County, if not the state, I believe it was the state, I'm looking at file as I say this, um, we participated in a vote and thinking of a time where my ancestors could not vote. Mm -hmm. So that, and that's just one of many examples of being not just my ethnicity, but my gender. There was a time that women in the United States could not vote. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that um, by participating in that, I am not only exercising my right to share my voice, I am also helping them or reminding them that their efforts were not in vain, mm -hmm. that all the sacrifices they made, I am able to do what they fought for. And so when you say that, it's making me think maybe two, three generations down the road, there might be some humans that say, because of thick descriptions, mm -hmm. I was able to do dot, dot, dot. And in, you know, when you go back to Kazakhstan in a, a generation or so, someone can say, I am able to do this because of Gulnaz. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So I yeah. hear you. I definitely hear you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really what motivates me mm -hmm. to do those things. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. Because a lot of times this type of work, um, and, and we, that's something we could talk about as well as nonprofits, the assumption that a nonprofit is not a business. Truly, the only difference between a for-profit and a nonprofit is one doesn't pay taxes and the other does not. And outside of some legal uh, components that are uh, attached to that here in the United States, and I would assume throughout the world, 
the work still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't think there's any organization that gets up and says, well, I'm just going to do this because I feel like it. There's mm-hmm. there's there's a mission. There's a, a, a goal from um, large organizations like Amazon to um, small mom and pops. They want to make a change. They want to make a difference. And having um, an EIN, uh, meaning a tax ID number or not, for profit or not, um, the work still needs to happen. Mm-hmm. The work still needs to happen. Because um, mm-hmm. us human beings, we don't do so well of treating each other like human beings. Consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially nowadays, there has been so many like evil things happening in yeah. the world. And I think we need more kinder and yes. good people instead of doing good deeds in the world. Agreed. That's what we need right now. Agreed. Agreed. That And that's something else I wanted to ask. So what are some of the current events that are happening in um, Kazakhstan? Oh, yeah. So with the um, war uh, in mm. going on in Ukraine, mm. with the Russian invasion, we have also seen the impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, as like in September, um, many Russians were fleeing to Kazakhstan mm-hmm. after the... Uh, after the government in Russia announced um, mandatory mobilization, mm-hmm. but uh, the government has been open in uh, providing humanitarian help to Ukraine from the beginning. Nice. Uh, from the beginning mm-hmm. since the war started, mm-hmm. and it started even with people just donating their clothing, mm-hmm. food, money to help those Ukrainians, mm-hmm. and even um, it uh, also I think it showed how. Uh, Russia's impact uh, in Central Asia mm-hmm. is diminishing mm-hmm. um, because, uh, like uh, we, uh, Kazakhstan and Russia has been um, allies for many years mm-hmm. and for many reasons because of historical background and we share one of the biggest um, borders in the world mm-hmm. with uh, Russia and economic relations. Uh, relations. However, after the um, after the invasion to Ukraine. Uh, Kazakhstan has been open in not uh, recognizing annexed regions in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been trying. Kazakhstan has been trying to kind of have independent uh, foreign policy mm-hmm. from that uh, from that time on. Mm-hmm. So, I hope um, that Ukraine will certainly win by this time, <laughs> hopefully, mm-hmm. and it shows how um, Russia's impact would also be diminishing in the region. Mm-hmm. In in uh, I think in the in future time mm-hmm. and i'm really glad we're having this uh, particular conversation slash topic i personally i don't see too much about ukraine in the media anymore and mm-hmm. it's not suggesting that it's not happening it's just there's just i know to be fair i know there's been so much going on a, a lot of human beings not treating each other like human beings. And so to be fair, there's only just so much time in the day to share information. And I know that when information is does not stay on uh, different social media or different radars media or not, there's an assumption that it, it's not happening anymore. What's going on in Ukraine is still happening. Yeah, so that's the thing that... Uh, uh... Um, many like um, I would say uh, social media or even mm-hmm. like media mm-hmm. say I uh, do not show everything. Like right. yeah, it was maybe headlining when it started, but right. afterwards 
it was not anymore right. but it's still ongoing work right and uh i would say like it is very important uh, important even to be informed about that right. to help those situ in those situations agreed agreed that's all i have unless you want to share anything else um just thank you very much for having me here and uh, i had a great experience living in Oklahoma and working with thick descriptions and thank you for everything thank you okay bye bye thank you for listening to thick descriptions elephant in the room unboxed want to learn more about us what we're doing to disrupt traditional educational methods follow us on facebook twitter instagram linkedin tiktok thickdescriptions.org 405-397-0584.